Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. This week, Pastor Travis shared with us from his sermon, Don't Forsake the Process. Join us in the book of Deuteronomy. Well, I want to start by giving you guys, uh, telling you a joke um, that my Alexa Tower, what an amazing little piece of technology, that my Alexa Tower told to me, Absolutely, I remember this now. And uh, if I can just warn you real quick, the joke is a little cheesy. Um, I found it hilarious. Like, I was laughing really hard, and then I could feel my wife looking at me as if I was somehow making us both a little bit stupider by finding this joke so funny. So bear with me, it's a little cheesy. It goes something like this. Um, there was this, uh, a boy, was uh, 16, he had just gotten his license. And he begins to hound his father to buy him a car, and through some... Um, persistent annoyance for about a week or so. The father, he finally caves in and he makes a deal with his son. He says, son, I I will, I'll buy you a car, but first I want to see these three things. I want to see three things from you. He says, first, you have to get your grades up. He said, and and second, I want to see you get into the word of God a whole lot more. I want to see you make a real real effort to get into God's word daily. He said, and the third thing that I want to see from you is you have got to get that hair cut. About a month goes by, and the young man, he's feeling that he's held up to his end of the bargain. He comes to the father, and the father is somewhat pleased with his son, and uh, he had gotten all his grades up to B's or better. And the father's watched him Every day he's watched him get into his word, and and he's reading his word. He's making this real effort. So the father is somewhat pleased. Uh, uh, But the father says to him, he says, son, you have done a great job. He said, I I mean, you've gotten all your grades up, and and I've watched you in in the word of God. He said, I want to hold up my end of the deal. I'm going to buy you a car. But why on earth haven't you cut your hair? And the son, he replies, he replies and he says, well, dad, um, I've been reading through the Bible a lot more lately. And as I begin to read and to study, I begin to notice that a a lot of really big names in the Bible actually had long hair. And, And a lot of people even believe that maybe Jesus himself even had long hair. And then the father replies to the son, He replies to the son, he says, well, did you notice that they walked everywhere too? That's that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Got my funny bone now. I was like, maybe Megan didn't get it. Here's the deal, though. The son, he attempted to skip a step in the process, if it were. Right, he, he thought he could do everything but this one or, or whatever, and he tries to skip a step in the process. And that, for the most part, is just like us. We will skip a step in a heartbeat, and that is because we do love us some instant gratification. We hate to wait. It's because of that that we have begun to forsake the process, as it were. And that is exactly how you get statistics like this. 72% of Americans eat fast food once a week. It's not even good. 
72% eat it at least once a week. We also, we get numbers like this, right? It's estimated that the, the fast food restaurants in the U.S. rake in somewhere in the neighborhood of $208 billion per year. That's a billion with a B. You don't feel like cooking. It's also how, how a computer science professor at the, the, Una, the uh, UMass Amherst, um, he got numbers like this, right? He's examining the viewing habits of 6.7 million internet users in the fall of 2015. And he's watching how long they're willing to be patient um, when they're using the internet, uploading videos or clicking on a video, how long it takes to get to the next screen. And how long were they willing to be patient? Two seconds. Two seconds. After that, they started to abandon. When you get to five seconds, the abandonment rate was 25%. You get to 10 seconds, nearly half of them were gone. And it's because that we are so impatient and we want to skip a step in the process, we also get numbers like this, right? We get facts like this. In 2006, microwave sales topped $3.7 uh, $3. billion. Microwaves. But microwaves are in 90% of the households in America, which is insane to me. Because literally nothing good comes out of the microwave. It's maybe like Hot Pockets, the pizza ones. Other than that, it's nothing. you can take a perfectly good meal. You go to Bonefish or Firebirds, wherever your favorite place is. You get this meal. You eat a good portion of it, right? You get full. So what do you do? You get the box. You put it in the box, right? You go home. You do whatever it is you do, I don't know, work out, do some sit-ups, sit around, take a nap, whatever it is. You get, you get hungry again, so you go to the fridge, you take the perfectly good meal out of the fridge, we place it in the microwave and completely ruin the perfectly good meal. But somehow it's in 90% of American households. And this is because our impatience leads us to seek out this instant gratification because we ain't going to wait. It's because of this that we're prone to skip a step in the process. Herein is the issue. The process makes the product. I don't care what it is. I don't care what you're trying to make. Maybe, maybe cookies. Uh, the process is going to make the product. Maybe you're baking a cake. Skip a step in the process, it's not going to come out right. The, the Making baseballs, it doesn't matter. You skip a step in the process, it's going to come out wrong. But even the pew that you're sitting in, there's a process that makes this product. And if you skip a step in this process, if you skip a step in these instructions, the product is not going to turn out as intended. And we look at our nation and our families and our children and our marriages and we tend to have this picture inside of our heads of, of what they should be and what everything should look like. And we have this vision of the product, the end goal. And yet the CDC reports a marriage rate of 6.9 people per every thousand and a divorce rate of 3.2 per every thousand. That is nearly half. It probably wasn't the product that we had in mind. Get this, between 1960 and 2016, the percentage of children living in families with two parents decreased from 88 to 69. Now, I'm not a mathematical genius, but I do believe that that means 31% of children are living in a single-parent household. And I'm not busting on single parents. I understand you that you're the hardest working folks in the business. 
going out working, providing for the family and raising your family. But on the same token, the numbers don't lie. And the numbers are this, 75% of children in chemical dependency hospitals are from single parent families. More than half of all the youths incarcerated in the U.S. live in one-parent families as a child. Probably wasn't the product that we had in mind. And while I realize that your process or the process may be a little bit different for each of us, right? Because um, God has made and is molding us into unique individuals, right? Each to bring him glory and honor with our unique traits and talents and attributes. I will suggest to you that the very first step in the process is the same for everyone in this room. And we will find our first step in the process in Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you would turn with me there. It's um, it on this first step that we will spend the majority of our time this morning. For those maybe who are not familiar with the context of this passage, or perhaps you just need a simple reminder, allow me to remind and perhaps enlighten you. The children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt. Uh, for some 400 years. When they were come out of Egypt, it was called the Exodus. Hence the book that we have in our Bible, Exodus. It is, it is the story of the people of Israel coming out of Egypt, their Exodus. And when they came out of Egypt, they were going to be away from any central place. So they needed some instruction on uh, how they were to go about worship. So we have the book of Leviticus. Right, it tells us how they were instructed to worship the Lord. It gives us all the ins and all the outs, uh, all the ceremonies, the feast days, uh, and the ins and outs of the tabernacle. Then we have the book of Numbers. It's a sad story, really. The children of Israel have come to the point where they're about to enter into the promised land, the land that the Lord had promised he would give them. But they send spies to go check it out, and ten of the 12 spies come back and they say that we are not able to take this land. And in their disbelief, the whole nation of Israel was punished by God. Do you remember what their punishment was? No one in that generation would enter into the promised land. Everyone who refused to obey God in that generation had to die. So... Uh, really, the book of Numbers is just a huge obituary column. Then we get to the book of Deuteronomy. Once again, the, the people in Israel are now on the verge of entering into the promised land. They have come out of Moab, and they are camped on the plains of Moab, and they are about to cross over the Jordan and enter into the promised land. And it is at this very critical stage in the history of the Israelites, that God inspires Moses to give several speeches um, or sermons to the people meant to renew their relationship with God and also define the terms in which they are going to be able to not only live, but also thrive in the promised land. So on the brink of the promised land, Moses, he reminds the people of the Ten Commandments, and then he pauses. He pauses for a minute to focus on the most important commandment that God ever gave. And this is where we find our text. Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. 
And thou shalt love the Lord our God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Now, before we really dive in and, and see um, exactly why I'm kind of calling this the first step in everyone's process, um, there, there are a few things that we should notice about this or, or note about this um, passage. And the first is this. The first is the onlyness of God. Is that onlyness? Yes, onlyness is a real word. I Googled it. I Googled it myself. And here it is, as defined by Merriam-Webster, maybe. The onlyness of God, as defined by Merriam-Webster. State of being the only one in an indicated or implied kind or category. And here we read, the Lord our God is one Lord. What in the world does that really even mean? Right, and to truly grasp a hold of this, we must look at this in the backdrop of where the Israelites have been and where they are going. See, they have just come out of Egypt as a land that's full of idolatry. So for generations and generations, they were subjected to this false idol worship in Egypt. And where are they going? To Canaan. The most polytheistic, evil nation that ever had a spot on the map. And one of the main points that Moses wants the people to understand is that they are not to get caught up in this polytheistic idol worship, this worship of many different gods. He said, you're not to get caught up in that. He says, the Lord is one, and one alone. There are not many gods, there are not some gods, there is one God. The Lord, our God, is Yahweh, and Yahweh alone is God. There can only be one absolute, all-powerful, almighty. If there was two absolute, all-powerful, almighties, it would cease to be absolute. It says the Lord our God is one. The second thing that we ought to notice um, is what Dr. David Jeremiah, in relation to this passage, calls the priority of God. And it's this. The injunction to love God... In this passage, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. Junction to love God is based on the president that God had already loved them. Right? He had shown his love for them through the exodus, through the wilderness wanderings, and through the second opportunity for them to come to this very place, the promised land. And to put it very plainly, they were to love God uh, because God first showed his love to them. Right? And it's in the same way that we read in 1 John 4.10. It says, herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. If you were to skip down to verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. Back to our passage. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, and thou shalt love the Lord our God. The next thing that we need to deal with when we come to this passage is something that we struggle with culturally. And that is how can you command love? I mean, love is, love is not something that we do by command. Right? I mean, at, at least not the way we tend to think of it in, in our culture. Love it is, is an emotion it's a feeling, it's a, it's a feeling that you get deep down inside when you're, you're near that special person. Right? It's, not, it's not something that you command or 
It's really something you feel rather than something that you do. I and mean, we almost tend to think of love like a, like a virus. Like it's just floating around in the air and maybe you catch it, maybe you don't. And I can't really help if I catch it. And, and it's like, you love me. I can't help the way that I feel for her when I see her. And we treat it like it's this virus. So how could you command that? And it's impossible to understand apart from the fact that the love that is found throughout the word of God is far different than anything that we generally know about love. Biblical love is not merely a pleasant disposition towards somebody. Rather, it's a commitment that is demonstrated by our actions. And the fact that love is commanded here in our passage shows us that it's not nearly an emotion. It's a commitment to the one true God expressed and service. I went through the book of Deuteronomy and it is astonishing the number of times that the people of Israel told what the definition of love is. And for time's sake, we, we don't have time to go through all of them. But I would love to get them up on the screen for you. And, and what I'm going to do is just read them uh, real quick, real, real fast, um, just to try to get the point across. I don't want you to turn with me. Um, I just want you to follow with me in your head. And as we go through these on the screen, I want you to see the connection between loving God and being obedient to God. They're all in Deuteronomy. All right, chapter 10, verse 12. Now. And now, Israel, when doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God and to walk in his ways and to love him? Chapter 11, verse 1. Therefore, thou shalt love the Lord thy God and keep his charge and his statutes and his judgments and his commandments always. Chapter 11, verse 13. And it shall come to pass that if thou shalt hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command thee this day to love the Lord your God, and to serve him with all your heart and soul. Chapter 11, verse 22. For if thou shalt diligently keep all these commandments, which I command you to do them, to love the Lord your God and walk in his ways and to cleave unto him. Chapter 19, verse 9. If thou shalt keep all these commandments to do them, which I command thee this day, to love the Lord thy God. Chapter 30, verse 16. In that I command thee this day, to love the Lord thy God and to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments. And these are just a few of the examples of the examples um, from the messages that Moses was preaching to them. And what is he saying? He says, don't give me your empty words about how much that you love God. He said, I want you to demonstrate your love by being obedient to his commands, by being obedient to what he's told you to do. He says, don't bring me your empty words. And he said, well, Travis, that's great and all, but that's Old Testament. I'm a New Testament Christian. And I live under the New Covenant. And I'll submit to you that if you are uh, a follower of Jesus Christ, yes, you do live under the New uh, Covenant. But I would also submit to you that this is New Testament. Have you never read? John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. 
John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said unto them, if a man love me, he will keep my words. 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. This ought to be a reminder to us that, that while it is important, yes, to, to verbalize your love to God uh, uh, in front of others or, or to others and also to him in song and in, in worship and praise, right, while this is important, this is not the true essence of loving God. This is not the core essence of loving God. See, don't we know that we can, we can go out in the world the rest of the week, we can live just like the world does, we can do what we do without any reference to God throughout the entire week, any knowledge of him, any speaking of him, and we come in on Sunday and we sing praise to him, we sing about how much we love God, but how empty is that? should be expressed to him and they should be expressed to others absolutely but not without content and the content of loving God is obedience the exhibition of the principles um, that are underlined are so true that when the Lord Jesus was asked which is the greatest commandment of all he answers from this chapter in Deuteronomy a lawyer comes up to him in chapter 27, and he says, he says, Jesus, which is the greatest commandment of all? In other words, which, which is the most important? If I could only do one, if I only had a shot at, at obeying one, which one should I obey? Which one is going to get it in? Which one's going to do the job? And here's what Jesus said in verse 37. Jesus said in him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first great commandment. And he adds to our passage, he adds to the first commandment, he adds one more, the second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Two commandments, one command, and that is to love. In essence, saying that if you love God, you will keep my commandments. And if you love one another, you are keeping my commandments because I have commanded you to love one another. John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have loved one another. So when you love one another, you're also displaying your love for God. And then in the next verse, Jesus makes a rather simple yet profound statement, right? He gives, us, he gives us two commandments. He says you, you are to love God. That's the most important. That is the greatest. Love God. And you do it how? You do it wholeheartedly with everything you have, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And then the next thing he adds to it is you are to love your neighbor. And not just I'm talking like little love, like maybe it's floating around, maybe I feel it, maybe I don't, but I'm talking love all the way. You love your neighbor as I loved you. And then in verse 40, he adds this. He says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. On these two commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor, hang the entire law. 
Paul understood this when he wrote Romans 13 and he summarizes the last five commandments. How how many of us here know that the first five commandments deal um, with our relationship with with Christ, our relationship with God? And the, the last five of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship with others. Romans 13, verse 8, Paul says this, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And, there's, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And in this amazing summary, Paul gives us the importance uh, of the law and how it relates to to loving your neighbor and how it relates to loving God. Um, Because when you love your neighbor, you, you don't steal his goods. When you love your neighbor, you don't lie about him. When you, when you love your neighbor, you don't cover stuff. When you love your neighbor, you don't steal his wife, right? You don't do things to hurt your neighbor because you love your neighbor. So keeping the last five commandments is really just a way to love your neighbor. Which is even further evidence that this whole idea of biblical love has very little to do with emotion until it first has a whole lot to do with obedience. God, I knew this wouldn't be that popular of a message. <laughs> you can't say obedience more than 10 times in this room. Think you go get out of there unscathed. Moms and dads, grand, grandmoms, granddads, what do you call me, moms, papas, doesn't matter. Even, even older siblings. How many of you know that raising up a, a fantastic family, as pastor's been calling it, Raising them up in the fear and the admiration of the Lord is this huge, enormous task. But it's an impossible task if you don't love him first. See, we take, we take the true love of God that is rooted in its base and its evidence and the obedience to his word and to his commands and we replace it with empty words and good intentions, all the while skipping the very first step of the process and then we sit back and we sing, world is happening in the world today i mean did you see this on the news did you see that i mean what in the world is really going on but it's time as godly men and as godly women we take responsibility for our relationship with god and quit bringing him our empty words and start bringing the creator and the sovereign king of the world a true biblical love that is evidenced by commitment to him and obedience to his commands First step, love the Lord your God. Toward the beginning of the message, I told you that everybody's process is is a bit different. Depending uh, on where you're at in your relationship with God, where you're at in this walk of life. So therefore, everybody's process is going to be different because we're not all in the same spots. But before we leave, I would like to suggest to you Um, Step two in the process. And when I'm referring to the process, I'm referring to literally any process that you're going through. It doesn't matter. Raising children, a marriage, um, your relationship with the Lord, whatever it may be. This is all encompassing. But I would like to 
leave you with a suggestion for step number two. And we can find that in Deuteronomy 6. If we go back to verse 5. It says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down. And when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign in thy hand. And thou shalt be as frontlets between thy eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. It says, teach them to love God when they sit. Teach them to love God when they walk. Teach them to love God when they lie down. Teach them to love God when they rise up. Moses' repetition was then and should be right now translating this sense of importance to us. You have to teach them daily, over and over and over and over. And when you think that they have it, you need to teach them again, over and over and over again. And why is this so important? Because Moses knew that it was true in his day, and it's certainly true in our day, that they were only one generation away from complete heresy. And you don't have to look around very far to see that that's true for us. So that is my suggestion for the second step in the process. Right, and don't microwave this step. It's interesting to note, there is no mention of bringing your children to youth group or bringing them to the 11 o'clock service up there in kids' church. And while these things are awesome and I do think that you should bring them, it says parents, teach them. Teach them when they rise. Teach them when they're awake. Teach them when they're going to bed. Teach them when they're lying down. Walking. Teach them. It doesn't say bring them to the youth group and let Travis see what he can do. Don't forsake the process. Love the Lord your God. This is evidence through your obedience to his commands. Teach them to your children or your grandchildren, or to somebody younger than you that you have influence over. And that is everybody in this room. Everybody has influence over somebody. But don't get it twisted. You cannot forsake the process. You can't begin to do step number two if you ain't first fully engaged in step number one. They're going to see right through you. If I was a rapper, they would call that real recognized real. They'll see right through you. I want to leave you with this quote. I don't know who said it, but I like it, so I wrote it down. If you have not chosen the kingdom of God first, it will in the end make no difference what you have chosen instead. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Thank you so much for listening. For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.